security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. We are going to start with me introducing my co-host, Chris Fallon, and before we start doing that, please, please, please subscribe to our channel. Chris? Yes. And if you're joining us on LinkedIn, don't forget to connect or at least follow everyone here. Um, Chuck Heron is our guest today. If you are following us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. That way, the next time we come on, you can get that notification. And if you're joining us after the fact on podcast, don't forget to share with all your friends and family. That way we can inspire more people to be interested in the cybersecurity field. So today, our special guest on CISO Thursday, live, 1 p.m. every Thursday, um, our guest today is Chuck Heron, and he's going to tell us about his story, how he broke into cyber, but then became a CISO, because that's what today's episode is all about, is cybersecurity leaders sharing their stories and then their advice for the next generation and how they can come into the industry as well. Chuck? Sounds great. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so my uh, my entree into cybersecurity um, was a little atypical, um, and uh, it may not be the uh, you know your mileage may vary on on repeating the path. So I'll get into that, but then we'll also cover you know somebody that wants to break into the field now. Um, what are some of the paths in? Because it's one of the hottest uh, and most in demand uh, career areas uh, for uh, for young people to uh, to come into. Uh, there's no shortage of ways that that you can uh, you can get in and contribute in this space um so a little bit about me um I, i've been a i've been a CISO in uh, publicly traded uh financial services firms for the last 18 years um uh, based out of the u.s but uh, global footprint um so uh i spent 11 years at aig um i was the head of uh, it security risk and compliance for everything consumer facing um and i left there in uh 2015 um and uh, I was responsible for everything um, that touched a consumer. So the way that that company was structured at the time was commercial consumer investments. Um, and so we were in about 100 countries, 18 major markets, uh, 202 regulators. Um, and, and I think that, you know, at some point in everybody's career, if they want the big global job, they should have the big global job um, and, uh, and see the world and, and do that kind of thing. But uh, I, I chose to, to go to smaller companies um, after that, largely because... Uh, when you have 200,000 people in your organization, uh, sometimes it's like you're on the side of a super tanker with an oar. Uh, and, and you're just, you know, you're just paddling like hell to go two degrees right, two degrees starboard, guys, two degrees starboard. And you get to the end of the year. OK, we made it a half a degree. Better luck next year, guys. We'll be back at it. Right. And so um, I left there with uh, with a bunch of, uh, of AIG alumni, uh, moved to Des Moines, Iowa to, uh, to take a, a company public. A lot of acquisitions uh, with that firm. Uh, that went really well. Um, Thompson Orders IPO of the year 2016, uh, so that was cool. I've never taken a company public before, um, and uh, and then uh, decided to move back to Texas um, and uh, was the CISO for Texas Capital Bank. Uh, and then I left Texas Capital Bank. I uh, actually joined for a merger, and then uh, the pandemic just kind of scuttled, um, you know, the plans for the merger. So my uh, second day there, um, 
uh, we were in a war room talking about dealing with the pandemic uh, and, you know, the, the pandemic really took over everything, Paytech protection program and so forth and so on. So like the, uh, the great warrior poet Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth. Um, our plan was uh, was upended by the pandemic, and Lord knows a lot of people had it worse than, than we did. So uh, I don't mean to make light, but that plan A was not happening. And so um, uh, joined a, a local uh, uh, investor here in the Dallas area, uh, and we spent the last uh, half a year building a uh, fintech uh, from the ground up, uh, Greenfield. It's the first time that I'd ever done that. That's been really awesome. Uh, and now I'm, uh, I'm making a move to... Uh, uh, to another firm that I'll, I, we're, we haven't, I haven't made the move yet, so I can't really talk about it, but it's in the social media space, we're going to see a lot more from us uh, coming up because there's a huge blind spot area in cybersecurity that's going to be a real area of opportunity we can talk about. Um, but getting into to, uh, security actually was an accident. So back in about 2000, give or take, uh, I was working at this large financial institution and I was a project manager for a Windows migration. Uh, so we were replacing as an old financial institution um, we were replacing all the uh, dumb terminals and green screens with uh, Windows machines, first Windows machines in these operation centers. And um, uh, one of the uh, subsidiaries of this large financial institution had uh, an insurance brokerage, um, or insurance agency, uh, captive, uh, in the shop. And those of you with, uh, with some gray in your beards will remember the days when vendors would ship um, your SQL server as part of the application with SA and no password. Um, and that was the system administration, you know, ran at system level. Uh, and this particular entity was running that on their domain controller. Um, and so the way that I got into security was having a public fight with an executive that wanted me to shut up. And I couldn't because I was young and, you know, didn't have the, the wisdom or political knowledge to, uh, to not challenge executives publicly. I didn't know that was a bad thing, like, because I was right and I had to be right and I couldn't let it go. Um, and so... Essentially, I, when when he he more or less just asked me to shut up and do my job, um, and then I took over to demonstrate. I took over their domain controller using Microsoft Excel, um, uh, with the same software and same privileges that that we were rolling out to everybody else. Uh, and it, memory service has been about twenty years, but the syntax was something like you know stored procedures in Excel, XP command shell, uh, net uh, user, uh, net local user, uh, evil hacker ad. Uh, net um, uh, XP command shell, net local group administrators, evil hacker ad. And then I asked the uh, the local admin to check your domain admins group. I just took over your domain with Excel. Still think there's not a problem? Um, the, the, the corporate security guys, yeah, it's not, not my wisest move. The, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? I was, I was, you know, young and I couldn't, I couldn't be, you know, not right. Um, the, uh, the corporate security guys heard about this. They heard that some contractor just hacked uh, one of their internal systems. And so their home office was about 60 miles from these field operations offices where we were working. And they came rocketing up the highway on the East Coast seconded me into a conference room, pulled in the local admins, pulled in the executive that, that I was having beef with, who went from not liking me to really not liking me, um, you know, pulled in my project manager, you know, everybody and, and basically dissected what had happened. And then at the end of it, they had talked about, you know, we're going to end the contract and, we, you know, you broke our security rules and so forth and so on. And ultimately, cooler heads prevailed. And, uh, and one of the security executives there realized, like, this was actually a good thing for them to know because they had a big blind spot that they were unaware of, uh, and they uh, they asked me to be their eyes and ears uh, in that uh, in that region. 
And so, you know, back in those days, cybersecurity was a brand new thing. Security was, um, you know, largely the, the .com and, or not .com, the .gov and .mil guys in the corporate security space. Um, and information security was barely even a field. Um, so anyway, I figured out, hey, they'll actually pay me to, to do stuff like that. that that's pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's basically how I, uh, how I got my start. I went and got my CISSP, um, you know, a bunch of different certs and things like that. And then, um, after that project came to an end, uh, founded a, uh, penetration testing practice for, uh, for a consultancy that was scooping up all of the Arthur Anderson talent after the collapse of Enron, uh, 2001, uh, the big five became the big four, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley was passed. The big four were damn sure not going to let it become the big three. And nobody knew what SOX meant. Um, so it was a big period of turmoil in governance and audit and compliance uh, services. Um, and so we started the pen testing firm uh, as a bunch of uh, bunch of rednecks out of Charlotte and Atlanta. Uh, we had a 96% success rate. It was really cool. We didn't have any of the tools like we have today, you know, Metasploit and Shodan and all the others. Um, but uh, then the bottom fell out of the pen testing market. So uh, decided to, uh, to land at AIG based in Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, and was there for 11 years. Had uh, had six different roles in the next 11 years. There was always a bigger fire to put out somewhere else. Uh, 19 bosses, um, and that that more or less uh, brings us to today. So if you are looking for a field that is boring uh, or things are static, you should probably not pursue information security uh, as a vocation. Because in my 18 years now as a CISO, the only time I've ever been bored was on vacation. Um, it's a crazy world that we're that we're in. So, how did you go from pen testing to governance and compliance? That that seems like the total opposite of what we know of the security spectrum today. And how come that wasn't boring to you? What did you do in governance and compliance that made it cool and fun and interesting? It actually wasn't. Um, and so, so I. Pen testing was cool and interesting and fun. And that was a great job for a single guy in his 20s, not a great job for a married guy in his 30s, uh, you know, or girl. It's, you know, it's 50 weeks a year on the road, 70 hour weeks. Um, what happened with pen testing, though, is we were getting this practice off the ground. And then after Sarbanes-Oxley, um, the bottom fell out of the pen testing market. Everybody started putting their consulting dollars into compliance. Um, general IT audit, we've got to get socks ready, you know, and things like that. And, but nobody knew what socks ready meant. Um, and so, you know, at the time I said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to travel to do general IT audit and compliance work. Um, I can do that with one company. If that's what they need, then I can do that with one company and get off the road. And that's when I landed at AIG was building out the compliance program, uh, for, for that division in North Carolina, and then moved up into the, into the corporate roles. Okay. I have a question about pen testing. You said that it was, uh, I don't think you used the word overrated. You, do you use the term about ten, pen testing at the time? Um, and I want to know what you think about it now, today. I think um, now it's it's a vital service. Um, it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost become a commodity in a lot of ways. Um, uh, and, and, you know, when I was in the early days of pen testing, um, there was always this kind of moment at the beginning of the engagement where, whether it was the CISO, if the, if the company even had a CISO back in those days, uh, or the CIO or whoever was requesting the test where we kind of pull them aside and say, you know, Hey, Chris, 
you, you looking for the pat on the back or the fundraiser, right? Because if you just spent two years and $5 million putting a security program in place and I give you the fundraiser, you're going to look like a fool. And it, it, but <laughs> you, you want the pat on the back, but, but if you're looking for the fundraiser and I give you the pat on the back, you're not going to get your money. So like, it's kind of like, like a tax accountant, right? Two plus two. Well, what's the answer you're looking for? Um, there's, there, there's still some of that, right? The, the, the reality is the customer has, um, you got to have to meet the customer where they are uh, and do, you know, what, what they, what it is that they're trying to accomplish with the pen test. Um, it's nice, you know, growing, you know, in, in more mature programs where you can say, no, I just want an actual, you know, you come at me, bro, hit, hit me with whatever you got. Cause I want to see how my SOC team responds. I want to see, you know, social engineering, my people, come on, do it. All, you know, all this are off because that's cheap and doesn't really tell you very much. Um, but that's that. In my in my experience, it takes a relatively mature program um, to, to actually get to that. Um, so in my view, one of the things actually the limitation of pen testing is it only tells you if you can be hacked. And the answer to that is always yes. Um, I really think that a mature program, you have to build it out with pen testing, uh, war games, you know, incident response, tabletops. How would you respond if you were hacked, as well as a pretty robust uh, threat hunting uh, and, and uh, hunting for indicators of compromise? So, you know, add how would you respond and have we been hacked? Pen tests don't tell you if you have been hacked. Mm. Uh, and, and I've seen a whole lot of CISOs over the last couple of decades. They do their annual pen test, they check the box, and that's, you know, that's as much as they do. And that's only about a third of the, you know, that, that's about a third of what you need to do uh, to really right. understand the position. So question for Chuck from sir to him. How did you go from security compliance specialist to global CISO? I'll tell you, there's there's one thing that I did, I think, that, um, that spurred that on more than anything else. At the end of every one-on-one -on -one with my boss, and I had 19 bosses in 11 years at AIG, at the end of every one-on-one, -on -one, unless I was incredibly overwhelmed, which happens sometimes, um, I would end the one-on-one -on -one with, is there anything else I can help you with? Is there anything else I can do for you? And just, I, I became known as that, that guy who was always looking for more and was willing to do more. And sure enough, there was always demand. Right. That, 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 that's probably the single, you know, if, if there's any single thing other than, you know, working 60 hours a week and, and continuously learning new things and, uh, you know, just just busting your ass trying to do a good job, uh, always being willing to do something else that the company needs, the demand will find you. You know, I so appreciate that because I think that um, I know I know people do it. But when you see the jump and when you see a person make the move and, and, and there's a, they, they wonder why, like how, not why, but how did, how did this person, how did this happen? How did it happen so quickly? Whatever it is. And that's the, one of the keys for sure. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that with folks because they can now take that away and put it in their arsenal. And hopefully if that's something that they're looking to do, you know, use that to, to, to move on, take on stretch assignments, take on things that are falling off people's desks that, you know, folks right. need to help with. And we say that all the time too, when it comes to even mentor mentee relationships, because so many people look for mentors and we, I'm a firm believer in like, Hey, be the mentee that, 
is going to bring something to the table that, you know, the mentor is looking for. Most of us at this stage are kind of mentors. We're looking for stuff too. It's like, hey, what's what's happening in this environment? Or I don't know much about this industry, you know, but you're in this space. Can you give, can you bring, bring that, bring back that information? Um, so I appreciate that last, that last point about saying, hey, what else can I help you with? I would bracket it out also with, if you want to be a CISO, let your employer know that you want to be a CISO. You you know, your your career planning is yours. Nobody else is planning your career for you. Um, And so there's a bit of a combination here. If you're somebody that, that always, you know, she, she's, she's the girl that always wants more responsibility. She's always willing to help. And you know, she wants to be the CISO someday. The company will not want to lose you and they will make that happen. Right. Um, And, and so, So on the other side of that, before we get into the next question, do you think people are, do you, do you think some CISOs are threatened by that? You know, like you always ask, okay, what do you want to do in five years? And the person's like, well, I want your job. Do you think the per? how many people do you think that are sitting in the, on the other side? Like, oh, I want, when, when the person says, I want your job, or I want to be a CISO. How many folks are are like, oh wow, well, you know, this person wants this. Let me train them up. Versus, I'm threatened by this person. That's a great question. And and you know, in my in in my experience, that was actually something that I, I had to learn, um, you know, coming up through the ranks, because it, it what I didn't really understand was, um, if I want to go do something else or have a bigger role, I have to have a successor ready. Um, I can't make my, my succession plan my boss's problem because he's got other problems or she's got other problems, right? And so um, in my first CISO role, I developed two qualified successors. Uh, and then when the next opportunity came along and the company needed me to, in this case, parachute from you know, one, one part of the country to another, um, I had a successor ready. You know, the, the senior management knew who he was. They had confidence in him. Uh, and I could go do my next thing uh, because I had somebody ready to do my role. If you're threatened by somebody that wants your job, then that indicates to me that maybe you don't have any aspirations to do anything more, right? This my, it's my job and, and you, can't, you can't have it. I wanted people to have my job so I could go do the next big thing. Um, and if you don't have anybody to do your job, your, your bosses will absolutely, whether they say it out loud or not, they'll be thinking, oh, I can't move him because I got to find somebody else to do that. Um, you know, you're, you're, you trap yourself. Um, if you, if you lock yourself in, um, and don't have somebody ready to do your job. And also just from a, from a personal responsibility perspective, it's a key role and you shouldn't subject your company to that kind of a key role, uh, dependency, right. Yeah. You know, just, just take, take, take away from yourself and think about your organization. Um, CISOs are hard to find and it takes a while for somebody to come up to speed. You should have somebody that can, that can do your job. If you want up, you know, getting hit by a bus or winning the lottery or whatever, you know, analogy you want to use. Right. It just shows that you're a risk manager. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that one of the things that um, James said, one of our upcoming topics is like the middle management space. Like Mm -hmm. we have breaking into security. We know, you know, all this stuff, but there's this huge gap in the middle, which is really like the bridge to CISO, the bridge to the top. So you know, how do we get people up above, up into that space so that we can groom folks so that we have a succession plan and all that. And it's a huge gap that's out there. It is. 
Roy says, nailed it, Renee. I know. I hear this all the time, Roy. <laughs> so, uh, Rick William. Oh, wait. Before we get into this, we always shout out our people who are here. So, let me shout them out. Searching him is to come. Luis from Atlanta. Hello. And everyone, please tell us where you're, where you're, uh, you're listening in from, joining us from, watching us from. Morning uh, from San Fran, always. Steve Upshur, always here. Thank you so much, Steve. From San Diego, one of my favorite cities. Yeah. Uh, Medine says, thanks for discussing. Quiam is laughing at us. Um, um, I'm trying to think of, I, I, I just had it open where I had the other LinkedIn. Anybody that has LinkedIn user, you have to turn Marcus, it on. Marcus Cooley. Marcus, yes. Marcus, can we know your name? <laughs> Rolanda says, hello, thanks for having me. InfoSec Live says, hey. Um, okay, so now into the questions. Requiem, how has the early day pen testing knowledge and slash mindset helped you in GRC? It's a great question. Um, I'd say that, that um, having the perspective of the attacker really helps you avoid false sense of security when you're doing GRC. Um, and, you know, I, I have sat across from law enforcement on multiple occasions where, you know, they, they notify our firm or, or one of our divisions about some issue. And, and um, it's never the stuff that's in your risk register that winds up, you know, blowing up on a Tuesday, right? It's always a blind spot. And so what it really focused my, my view into GRC uh, into was, um, really trying to ferret out the unknown unknowns uh, and really digging in to, to assign like, you know, it can be a Harvey ball or whatever, a confidence interval to the, to the day that you're being presented. Right. Um, because there's, there's always a blind spot somewhere. There's always a hole somewhere. There's always a gap in knowledge somewhere. Um, and, you know, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of a hundred, those are the issues that lead to real breaches um, the GRC is, is a valuable, uh, you know, service. It's a valuable, you know, part of, of the risk management posture for a firm. And we do, we can do all kinds of cute things. Like, you know, we can name, label the business acceptance of risk form, the BARF, you know, so nobody wants to sign it and whatever. And you make your executives, you know, sign off on the risks because they you know, have some product rollout or the, the development team can't fix something because it's going to blow up their uh, delivery timeline or whatever the scenario is. But uh, I think that what it's done for me more than anything else is put a real focus on answering the question, how do we know? Th this is what we think we know. How do we know? What's our confidence interval in that? Do we really know where all of our assets are? Do we really know, you know, do, do your what do your metrics actually measure? Um, a lot of metrics are statistics. Uh, one of the metrics I like to start with when I'm, you know, assessing the relative maturity of a, of a firm is do you have the information that you can tell me how long in minutes it takes for a SOC analyst to respond to an unauthorized device in a sensitive space. That, that one metric, to do that, you have to know all your sensitive areas. You have to know what's supposed to be there. You have to be alerting on it. Somebody has to be responding. You have to be measuring the response time. That's a good metric. That tells you how effective your program is. Um, and, you know, sending your executives this month's slide deck on how many phishing emails you got is worthless. It's valueless. Um, the real metrics are, you know, in the event of a breach, how long would it take for me to catch it? Um, and, and it also, uh, one other thing that it does, 
such a good question. One other thing that it does is um, when I'm arranging for the red team tests, I'm, I really am inclined to, to be totally blind. Like you tell me when you're coming and I'll tell the CIO when you're coming, but come at me. And, and I want to see if security operations actually sees you. Um, and, and that's how we really know, uh, you know if, our, if our detective controls are, are what we think about. So it breeds a healthy sense of skepticism, that's for sure. We had a 96% success rate. We're a bunch of yahoos out of Atlanta and Charlotte with laptops. There was always a way in somewhere. Nice. I, I love I love the approach of using the the red team to show and to help tailor your approach, right? Because there's a difference between the pen test and the red team. The pen test will say this is where we could get in, and the red team is like this is how we're this is how we got in, and that's a totally different uh, message that you're sending to. Uh, C-level executives. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and the, this LinkedIn user here, there's always another way in. You're right. There, yeah. there, there is. And, you know, blind yeah. spots is what kills you. I mean, blind spots, that, that's why uh, CISO stands for career is suddenly over. <laughs> it's, it's, I didn't hear that one before. I thought I, I thought it was something else. <laughs> it's, it's always a blind spot. It's always some unknown unknown that you didn't know about. Um, so if you're not if you're not constantly focusing on closing your, your blind spots, that's what's going to get you. That's too funny. Question for Chuck: What are your thoughts on risk avoidance, acceptance, adventures in the CISO space? Um, thoughts on risk avoidance, acceptance, adventures in CISO. So I think there's you know there's really five there's only five ways to manage risk, right? And and outside of the credit space, there's really four. So accept, mitigate, transfer, avoid, or increase. And the credit space is usually increased. Like, hey, we want more exposure to that particular asset or that, you know. Um, but for, for operational risk, except mitigate, transfer, avoid. Um, I think that I have been surprised um, working with multiple divisions in large global organizations and, and working with leadership, uh, even in, in single organizations, at how much risk they're actually willing to accept uh, once you put it in business terms. Um, and, and how you can take technical concepts and put it in business terms, insurance or financial terms. And then all of a sudden they're not willing to accept that risk anymore. Um, but, it, but it's up to you to, to translate it. Um, your, your business leaders are not going to learn InfoSec lingo. They're not. Um, they, they've got other things to do. Um, so learn how to translate it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, technology debt um, is, uh, is, is kind of a pervasive issue, especially with companies that have been around for you know, more than a few years. And anybody that's in the acquisition space is going to pick up technology debt, right? So, so I, I've had multiple instances where we're a five-year-old or a nine-year-old company. We've got 40-year-old technology debt because it's something that we bought, you know, some company that we acquired. And, and so for insurance, you can use uh, essentially, a, you know, a, a under-reserved book of business um, that, uh, that's going to continue to cost you money for years and years and years down the road as an analogy for technology debt, right? So um, there was this old um, old joke from a Berkshire Hathaway annual report where this, this guy was in Europe and uh, his father suddenly passed away and he said, I'm sorry, I can't make it back. Uh, can you please you know, take care of the funeral arrangements and I'll pay for everything uh, you know, when, when I get back in country. And so she did. And, uh, and then the next month uh, he got the bill and you know $8,000 and whatever, and he wrote a check. And the next month he got a bill for $150. 
And he thought, okay, we must have missed something. And the following month, he got another bill for $150. And he called his sister and said, what's what's going on here? Why do I keep getting these bills? And uh, and she said, oh, I forgot to tell you, we buried dad in a rented suit. <laughs> that's going to cost that's going to cost you money for years and years and years because you didn't pay the 500 bucks to buy a new suit to bury dad in you rented one and that that's going to cost you forever right technology that's kind of like that and uh reserve you know reserves that that you put against a particular book of business in the insurance space is kind of like that too and and if you can you know work with your um, your business leaders and analogies that they understand because it, you know, it shows a, that you understand their business, but also you put it in their terms, then they get it. They're good at managing risk, um, especially in financial services, managing risk all the time. Um, but it's the technology stuff that they don't necessarily understand that makes it hard to relate. And, and it's very difficult to say, I need you to stop doing whatever, because I say so. Um, if, if you don't do a good enough job translating that into business terms that they can understand. Um, one other thing that, that I spent a lot of time and effort doing over the years is um, with, with junior staff, um, understanding the importance of building credibility uh, in the security office. You really need to understand your business. You can't secure that which you don't understand, which means you need to understand your infrastructure, you need to understand your data flows, and you need to understand your business. And, and you know, part of the reason is one of these days as the CISO, I'm going to have to go to my CEO and say, you know, Chris, we really shouldn't do this. And in that day, I need him to believe me. And the only way that he believes me is if we have spent the last, you know, several years or, or months establishing credibility, demonstrating that we understand the business, being reasonable, negotiating where appropriate for, for risk items. Um, but if you just come in with, you know, a, a, a white and black Dr. No approach, it's not going to work. That, that it's, it shows that you don't understand the business and you know, you wouldn't take security advice from somebody that didn't understand security any more than they're going to take uh, product advice for somebody that understands that doesn't understand their business. Right. right. So, and that's on you. That's, 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 that's your lift. That's not theirs. I mean, I, I just so appreciate you sharing that and, and sharing with folks how much, how, how important it is because all of the CISOs that I've spoken to, I can't even say some of them, all. And the business leaders will say, if they don't understand, you don't understand what we're here for. Like, you know, security is there to support the business. Like, that's what we're here for. We can't secure nothing. Right. So it's so very important to fully understand that space. And it makes you so much more of a better um you know, individual, professional leader, what, however you want to, whatever, whatever stage you're in, um, it just makes you better in that stage. So a couple more folks here. Um, Requiem was laughing at us when you, when you were talking, not laughing, not laughing at me, laughing at you, laughing with you. suit joke. suit, yeah. <laughs> what in the world? Um, more folks are coming in from, let's see, hi from New Jersey. Hey, Jeanette. Uh, Alonzo is in here from Maryland, Roman from Nashville. I just love that people from all over the place. Uh, Atatola is from New Jersey, and uh, Rolanda is from Virginia. 
And Requiem said he that when you were telling the story, he was also holding his favorite VHS rented from the last blockbuster. So when when he was being buried in that rented suit, <laughs> the VHS was in there too. Charge him an extra forty dollars a month for that one too. You may can actually stop paying for that one by now. <laughs> Hello for DC. Oh my God. Oh, say kids. What's happening in say kids? Awesome. So, so Chuck, as you as you mature out of one role, you have your backfill. How how as a CISO do you go hunting for roles that because I know folks at the junior level, they're struggling with hunting for roles. How how do CISOs hunt for roles? That's a good um so I've really got I've got three three rules that I've tried to follow for the last 18 years. Um do the right thing, document everything, and keep an inbox full of headhunters email. <laughs> One and two may not work out for you, right? As as the CISO, a lot of folks say they want to be a CISO. Just careful what you wish for. Your your career can blow up from no fault of your own. How many, how many big security breaches are really the direct result of something that the CISO did? What, what was the acronym again? Career is suddenly over. Career is suddenly over. Oh, my God. I got to write that down. Um, <laughs> in, in reality, you know, if, if, you're, if you're making connections um, and, and, you know, doing a good job and, and, you know, doing the right thing, finding roles in information security isn't that difficult. I think it's... The, the the most critical part when you're looking as a as a CISO, um, it, it's m more often than not deciding which roles you want to take on because there's there's so many more available than there are people that are doing this. Um, deciding if you want it or not, you know what what's appealing about that company? What why why is the position open? What happened? Um, did, did the person move on or did, did they become scapegoat or is it a new role? Like, I mean, so you kind of have to understand those things. Um, I used to be before I got into uh, into technology at all. This is a true story. I was an eighth grade teacher, uh, math and science. That job was open because the woman who was in the role the prior year had a nervous breakdown and was hospitalized over the summer. And. It should have been obvious to me, maybe you don't want that job. And no, I, it wasn't. I said, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. If, if the job is open because literally the incumbent had a mental breakdown, think twice, right? So um, you, you, it's, it's really important. Interviews go two ways, right? Uh, interview, the, interview the company, ask the company good questions, ask about the culture, ask about the support you're going to get, ask about the budget. Um, are they checking the box because they never had a CISO before? Um, was the other CISO, you know, run out because he or she, you know, didn't do a good job? Were they the scapegoat? Were they just not a good fit? That happens sometimes. But it, really be careful in the roles that you choose. Um, and one of the best pieces of career advice I ever got was from a gentleman that uh, was a senior executive at AIG. Uh, and he had a Scottish accent. I'm not going to try to do the accent. Um, but, but we were on a trip one time and, uh, and I asked him for his advice. And he says, you know, I have one piece of advice, one rule. I don't work for a-holes. Um, and, and I was like, you know, that's a really good rule, actually. You don't have to take the first job that comes along. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be associated with that company. You're going to be associated with that culture. 
you're going to blend into that culture. You're going to, you know, take on characteristics of that culture. And, um, you know, so, so be, be discriminating in what you choose to do. And remember that in, in, I think the last stat that I saw was there's something like, I don't know how many CISSPs there are, but there are roughly uh, 10 times as many CISSP jobs as there are CISSPs. Um, so it's like, you know, 80,000 and 8 million or even something similar to that, um, or yeah, whatever the numbers are. Um, you know, you're, you're in demand. Um, so do right by yourself. Um, you know, do, do right for you. You're the CEO of your own career. Um, and you know, don't take it the first thing that comes along, uh, cause then you'll wind up having a, to leave, you know, shortly thereafter. And now let's pivot it the other way. What do you look for when you hire? Um, I, I want to know what somebody does in their spare time. I want to know if they tinker. I want, I want to know if they're intellectually curious. I want to know if they're like, what's the last nonfiction book you read? I want to know, do you play around with raspberry pies and do you code on the weekends? And like, do you pick locks? What, what are you into? Are you intellectually curious? Because in our space, if you're not learning new stuff, you're stale in two years. I don't care what certs you have. I don't care if you got the CISSP, CCSP, CCNA, blah, 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 whatever. Um, if, if you're not continually learning new stuff and playing around and, and, and learning new technologies, you're going to be stale in two years. You're not a potential successor of mine because, you know, my, our company, our footprint, our threats are going to change over the next couple of years, the next few years. And we don't even know what, what we're going to be facing in five years. Um, so that's, it's, it's more about a, um, um, intellectual curiosity and ability, ability and willingness to learn. Um, and then the other main thing is, are they a nice person? Um, are, are they somebody that my team is going to want to, to spend time with because the a-holes will drive out the good talent every time. And I've made the mistake twice in my career of hiring someone that was technically very, very competent. And it turns out nobody could stand them. And a bad hire is a big mistake. It just, it takes a lot of time to get rid of somebody. Um, and, and it'll cost you good talent. So, you know, it's kind of like real estate, location, 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 fit, fit, fit. Is this person going to fit with the culture? Is it somebody that we're going to want to be around? Um, you spend a lot of time with your coworkers and, and if you don't like them, it just makes the world you know, you, good people will leave and good people don't have to stay. Good people have offers on the table as it is. Um, you know, just are, are they people that you want to spend time with? We literally just had a whole conversation about this last week. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I, this is what I was, I bring up to folks all the time because they are uh, sometimes, especially when new, new newbies breaking into the industry, like, what did I do wrong if I'm not, you know, and, and hearing not the right fit is sometimes uh, disheartening, intimidating, whatever you want to call it for that individual. I think us as seasoned people get it. Like, we know when we're not the right fit, (laughs) you know, Chris knows when he's, I I know for sure when I'm, when I hear some shenanigans, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that was, that was not. This is not going to work. But being new, trying to break in, all that stuff and hearing about and and understanding that sometimes it's not about you as a, you know, personally, it's just that you individual might not fit with that team. 
Yeah. Um, and so that was something that we t- we talked about um, a few times last week. The same put this same topic. Um, all right, let me shout out some more people before we continue. Um, I still want to know what's going on in St. Kitts. <laughs> that's what, that's what, can you be, can I get beam? <laughs> Medine is in North Carolina. Hey, Medine. Uh, Roy is in Utah. Hey, Roy. What's going on in Utah too? Simar is in Columbia, close by. Uh, okay, so Dave Ruiz. Hey, Dave Ruiz says, great point fitting in the team and being a part of the organizational culture is so important. It is. So important. Like, it's much more, I don't think people fully understand how much that makes a difference and how important that is until you're sitting on your side, until you're the CISO, you're building the team and you're like, wow, this person, just exactly what you just said. One a-hole came in. I had this awesome team. Everybody's rocking and rolling. And I bring this one person in and they just spin the whole thing out. And now here we are. And I got to try to get rid of this person. And it's a whole thing. And I got to do write-ups and pips and all kinds of stuff. It's just too much. And it takes away from the actual work that needs to be done. Um, And not to belabor the point, but it it, it does go back also to, you know, you choosing the company you want to work for. You're not going- only the company, though, not only the company, Chuck, I think even the team, like understanding, because I'll give you a good example about me personally. I was in a company and one team I was too much for, but another team, they were like, you're exactly what we need, <laughs> you know, yeah. so for depending sure. on the team, depending on the leader, depending on the, you know, security so to speak so like how confident people are kind of like what i brought up before if you're like hey i want your spot in five years and that person's like no and then you realize eight years later that person is still in that spot mm-hmm. and you know it what's the dynamic there they they don't necessarily want somebody that wants to be in that spot in five years they want somebody that is going to do whatever they're going to do um so, you know, I, some of the questions I bring up because it's personal experiences and then obviously hearing from other people as well. So That's right. That's right. Um, Requiem says, Chuck, calling out my certs question. What's your opinion on technical slash hacker certs for GRC job seekers for the background knowledge? Kind of a tough one because I, I think there's there's three different parties, or maybe four, in, in the ecosystem of this question. I can only speak for one of them. So one of the one of the important ones that's not here is the uh, algorithm that your recruiting team is using or that the recruiting team for a company is using to sort out applicants. So we've we've all seen, you know, resumes and applications go into a black hole and great people that are that are, um, you know, potentially great fits never even get an interview because they don't match what the algorithm is looking for Um, from from a CISO's perspective, from my perspective. I will say that certs, certs won't necessarily mean you're going to be good at the job, but they'll get you an interview um, because they, they, they differentiate uh, applicants. And it's an easy way vouched by a third party that, you know, Requiem 2099 has at least done, you know, their, their part to, to try to demonstrate and have some third party say, yeah, he knows his stuff or she knows her stuff, right? Um, doesn't mean you're going to be good at the job. Doesn't mean you're not going to be, you know, somebody that, you know, people want to work with. Um but as far as uh, in, in a stack of resumes, um, I do think it makes a difference in a stack of resumes. 
the 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 challenge though is a you know uh, different hiring managers are looking for different things different hiring managers value particular certifications over others and then you've got the the screening the automated screening and i don't know what to tell you on that one you had all the all the key buzz all the key things that we talk about the the yeah. ats systems the, the the manager preferences things like that um and then, how do you what's your point of view on translating for example um military jargon or healthcare or financial jargon into different industries because each industry has their own jargon and saying one thing doesn't mean the same thing in another industry. How, how do you differentiate that um, while looking at resumes or even while looking into different industries? But before, one second, before we get to that, Chuck, can I just make a comment about the, the certs? Before you answer that, do you think that a person, because I'm, I'm trying to look at it from a different perspective when it comes to the certs, do you think that a person who's continuously getting like that continuous learning, right, that you're getting from all these other places, if they're continuously getting certs, there's there's a, there's a body of knowledge that comes along with that. So do you think that that would you put that in the bucket of continuous learning and then you could jump into the, the uh, veteran stuff or the military stuff? Yeah, I, th- I think it demonstrates that mindset that we were talking about. Right. So if. If somebody you know goes along and they're conti- and, and you see somebody's you know certifications, if, if like if I even tried to list mine, I don't I don't even remember all of them now. Um, but you know back in the early days, there was like uh, certified hacking and countermeasures professional, certified ethical hacker, uh, which changed a lot. You know I don't know 10, 12, 15 years ago, whenever it was, they totally revamped that one. Um, there was I mean just like there's the MCP, MCSE, MCSE two thousand. Uh, CISSP, CISA, CCSP. Um, geez, what else did I do? I, I mean, it, it. I mean, it really. If I if I dug them all out uh, and and laid it out, you would see my career path going from you know networking and Microsoft technologies to hacking and penetration testing to you know governance and uh, you know cloud and and yeah. I mean, and I think you can kind of tell that story, right? When you you look at that, you know, bottom half of the resume with your certs and the dates that you got them, um, it kind of tells you that, you know, something about that person's journey and that they're not, I got my CISSP 10 years ago and I hadn't done anything since. Um, I, I actually, while we're talking, while we're on that topic, it made me think of something in, in the resume because a lot of times people tend to, you have this like little section and it says, you know, knowledge or techno, techno, tech, technology or whatever it is it from a recruiter's perspective we always jump past it so there's your name your number all that stuff and then after that there's this big kind of gobbly goop of certs and this and that and um immediately from a recruiting perspective I tend to just jump right past I want to know like what have you been doing in your last job and so it made me think Maybe people should, since you talked about all the different certs and if people are coming, you know, taking various certs, especially if it's over the courses of your careers, it may be beneficial to add those certs to the bottom of the section within the body of the resume so you can see the progression. So it's like if I'm GRC, those system certs, the GRC type certs, they would go in with this bucket or you and you can see like, oh, well, they took these certs when they were doing this and then they... They were trying to gain more knowledge. So then they took these certs and, you know, they have those dates. And 
So it just made me think about, hmm, that would be, I think, I think that would be beneficial for um, employers to see, definitely recruiters to see, um, to see the progression of, okay, this person just doesn't have like a laundry list of certs. It kind of aligns to what they were doing at the time when they were growing in their careers. And, and to build on that one, one um, you know, additional point, one thing that I really like to see, and I've tried to do this myself, is when you see somebody that moves into a new role and this company is based on a different technology, if they will, will attain certifications in the technologies that they're responsible for securing, even if it's not a security cert. So let's say that you go into a, a VMware shop, right? And you, you leave, a, I don't know, an, an IBM ZOS mainframe shop and you go into to, you know, somebody that, that's you know, all running all in EMC get certified in that technology that you're responsible now for understanding and securing that shows that you understand that I need to understand my environment. Um, whether or not it's a security certification, you can be an admin. Like I, I've got, you know, a number of Microsoft certs and some VMware stuff, but just because I had to understand this, like I, I never worked in this environment before, but I can't go to the people who are running those systems every day and tell them what to do. If I don't understand that, I don't have to be the best in the room at it, but I need to understand it. Um, and, you know, so don't limit your certs to just security stuff, CISSP, CCSP, you know, whatever, uh, CISA. Um, yeah, one of the 22 things that I say over and over again until it drives my people crazy is you can't secure that which you don't understand. Um, and, uh, and so don't, don't limit yourself. If you're, if you're responsible for, uh, you know, an Azure-based shop or an AWS shop, um, it may behoove you to get some, you know, engineering or, or architectural certs in that in that environment, so that you can demonstrate that you actually understand the space. Yep, yep, totally agree with you there. Okay, so um, a couple comments, and then we could go back to Chris's question, which was uh, David Ruiz. Uh, he has a brother in St. Kitts. Dave, <laughs> yeah, help us out, man. Yeah, what's going on in St. Kitts? <laughs> I want a, I want a free place to stay. <laughs> um, David says, I think your your certs have to be in your career path. So it's kind of like what we're talking about, what you know, where you're going at the time. Um, David Ruiz, I'll I'll get to all of your comments all at once for now. I am about to retire from the military, and a lot of translation and intentional focus to translate and understand the industry is a personal thing. It is not easy and requires a lot of hours and work, but it makes a difference to get that interview. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yep. I agree. Um, so uh, Charles B. Leroy says, great conversation. I'm glad, Charles, that you're enjoying us. Louise says, I would say that the company culture is important. The team culture is more important, and the manager is the most important. Most the relationship you got is with your direct boss. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, and then Requiem says, thanks for that, Renee. I mean, tackling BTL1, EJPT, OSCP, HTB, THM, CTFs. <laughs> Gosh, we could make a whole alphabet soup for the knowledge gain to understand the broader process, quote, get the other team's perspective and challenges and dialogue. So it's the, it's the getting the cert for the learning um, the true understanding versus just the cert, like, oh, I'm going to get a cert to get a job type thing. That's right. That's exactly right. One, one, one other point I'd like to make on the um, such a key point that the, your, your most important relationship is with your direct manager. If you're managing people, think about what that means for you. 
everybody that reports to you, your relationship with them is their most important relationship in that entire company. And you need to invest in it. And I don't think people fully understand how much, what that truly means. Like, do you know, I've been in places where I do it for the person. Like, I'm just like, I, I, don't, I do not want to do this. I'm not trying to do this. But for you, <laughs> I'm going to do it because you're <laughs> asking because it's you. Yeah. If that guy asked me, I tell him to go pound sand. If, exactly. Okay, if you need it, all right, I, I'll, okay. Exactly. It's like, Chris is asking me, Chris, you know, clench my teeth, but I'm going to get it done. Nobody else, forget it, you know? And people don't, managers need to understand that, leaders, anyone that has anyone reporting to them, informal, formal, whatever, need to fully understand what that means because that the person who said that chuck who said that requiem so true like who that individual person mm-hmm. um, louise said it the manager is yeah. most important that is so true like that manager is the most important and that's where you get um you know, you have leaders that soar because they have a team behind them that's like, look, I'm about to, this person's going to jump over a bridge. I'm going to jump over behind them. And then you have other folks that they're like, I quit. I'm not doing that. No. And I'm I, seeing, I see it personally. I see it. And I'm seeing it like right now. I'm in a situation right now where I see it. And I'm, I'm just watching the whole situation because for someone else, people would pretty much do whatever. Like for you, I'm going to do it. Yep. This other person, Sorry, I gotta go get a haircut. Like, I won't share more uh, more context, but I did overhear my brother one day on on his cell phone say, "I'd like to want to help you." <laughs> I'm gonna use that one. <laughs> it, it, it took me a second to. Re- oh, I see. Okay. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And then Roy says, and if your manager isn't investing in it, hashtag red flags. That is the truth. That is the truth. Luis says, a good manager maximizes the employee's capacity, even knowing they likely will move on to better pastures within a few years. But that's the whole purpose. You're supposed to. You're supposed to give people wings. Like, okay, this is what I've grown you as far as I can, or you need to go over here and get this experience. I can't get it for you here. Well, I've minted four CISOs in my career, um, and a couple succeeded me directly, and a couple moved on. and And then, not too long ago, um, I had one of the one of the people that I had hired as an intern. Um, he was CISO, and somebody that he and I had hired as an intern became a CISO. Your granddaddy CISO, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, it's bittersweet when somebody has to leave for that next step, but this is what, you know, nobody wants their kids to leave home and go to college either, but that's kind of the point, you, you know, it's, it's, and either, either you're going to go somewhere else and do something bigger and they can take your role or they're going to go somewhere else and they can grow uh, in their own career. That's what this is about, right? This isn't, this isn't static. Um, it's, it's, you know, one of the, one of the best, you know, best times is, uh, is seeing somebody, you know, come in and say, Hey, I got a great opportunity over here. I'm going to have to leave. And it's like, well, that sucks. Cause you know, I really like you here, but man, you should do that. That's going to be awesome. Right. Right. Two final comments. And then quick, Chris will follow up with the final question of the day. 
David says, I believe we have to grow the team, make them better, and it is okay for them to surpass us. That's what it's supposed to be about. And sure. then he says servant leadership. And before Chris ends, I have to say to everybody, I got to put my little uh, public service for service announcement out. <laughs> As you all probably have heard, now I am working on a conference called uh, the Power Up Women's Conference. It is uh, March 12th. We are having young, uh, we have young men too, but mostly young ladies that are part of the teen conference. Um, and we are looking for donations to support the teen conference. So I am going to reach out to you all. Please reach out to me. We've had some awesome folks donate, which was fantastic. We had a fundraiser a couple of weeks ago, but we're still, we still need more um, for STEM kits for these girls. So please, please, please um, donate. It's, it's the powerupwomensconference.com. I'll put it in the, uh, I'll make a comment put it out there. And then um, if you could donate for the teens, that would be fantastic. All right. Now I will have um, Chris and Chuck and do our final wrap up for the, for CISO Thursdays. Sounds good. So, Chuck, if you had to now wrap everything up into one piece of sage advice for someone looking to break into the industry, what would that be? There are two types of people in the world. There are people that run away from fires and there are people that run towards them. Know which one you are. And if you're the second type, the CISO is a great job for you. So powerful. <laughs> like a hearse, everyone's dying to get into it. Everyone's dying to get it. It's so it's so powerful. Somebody else made that comment. I think when uh, a few years ago I was talking to a CISO and she said the same. She said that she asked that question to one of the one of the folks that she was working with, and she said, "Are you one of these people? Like, do you feel?" And the person said, "No. When when it's going crazy, I feel like I want to just get under the covers." And she was just like, "That's fine. You just don't. You would not, not be. You would not be a great paramedic." You would not be a good ER doc. You would not be a good, you know, security operations lead. Right. You know, some some people, you know, they they run towards fires and others run away. And it's neither one is right, neither one is wrong. But it's a matter of fit, right? And and if you're if you're signing up to be a paramedic and can't stand the sight of blood, you should yeah, you should fire your guidance counselor. They gave you some really bad advice. Yeah. Um, and so, and one thing actually, uh, if I can throw a little uh, plug in talking about career pathing uh, and pen testing, uh, you mentioned the ladies coming into the field. Yes. The best pen testers I've ever had the pleasure of working with were female. Um, and I think that there is a natural constructive use of differences where women are less threatening. Uh, they, are, they tend to be more empathic and more in tune with conversations, make excellent social engineers. When I walk into a room, I look like I, I look like somebody from CIA is there to overthrow somebody. <laughs> I'm a non-threatening person, right? Um, Renee walks into the room, I don't think they're going to have that same reaction. So it, pen testing is a wonderful field for our, long, uh, our young ladies to, uh, to pursue. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic field. It's exciting. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was, the, the ladies that I worked with were way better at a number of things than I ever could be. Um, and it's, it's, it's just the constructive use of differences, right? N know, know what your assets are and, and your liabilities are. I would make a terrible jockey. I'm 6'4", 280 pounds. Not the right field for me. 
um, yeah. right? So so use use the tools that you have at your at your disposal. So anyway, yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I may have you come speak to these girls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Thank you all so very much for being here for another another CISO Thursdays. Chris, who do you have on tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow I have on, of course, I should be better prepared. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to hit subscribe. Um, yes. Tomorrow I have on... Jose Alfredo uh, Lorena, who is a developer turned pen tester from Latin America. Um, cool. So happy to bring in the international flavor into this. Oftentimes uh, that's missed and we focus on the U.S. job market, but uh, we're going to bring in some international flavor to it. Awesome. 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 A couple of final comments. Women in technology fields are amazing enhancers. And it's crazy because in the beginning it was women in tech, like it, there wasn't this whole thing of not having women in technology. And it's, it, it boggles my mind now because my dad was, is a computer science, was a computer science professor. And he, it was just so automatic, like, oh, you do this. And it wasn't a women thing or whatever. It was just like, this is what you, you know, this is what you need to learn. <laughs> it was just cut and dry. Um, Requiem says, I've literally ran towards a fire in the mill, operated very well on the move in Afghanistan as a civilian and clams up hard in interviews. Thanks so, so much for your time, Chuck. So Chuck, we really, really, really appreciate you being here today. I think this was such a lively discussion and I'm so happy you were able to do this in such short notice. Folks, meet us back here. Meet Chris tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern on his channel. Meet us back here next Thursday. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern for CISO Thursdays. Have a good week, everybody. Have a good week, y'all. Bye.